stuff about uh, the watchman. I'm on I'm, the next couple of Sundays, maybe three Sundays. I want to share some things. Uh, everything I'm going to share with you today uh, is a matter of public record. You can look it up. Um, I, if you, for the sake of the of the uh, the recording, uh, I'm just going to call this a wake up call uh, to America. And now some of you, there's going to be all kinds of listeners here today. Uh, some of you are, are not going to uh, receive this, and, and I understand that. Some people say, well, maybe Pastor Ross is a little bit he weirded out or whatever. Uh, hopefully you will listen to it and then uh, search it and uh, uh, go over it again uh, to find out what God might be saying to you. God, how many knows that God deals with individuals and with nations? God deals with individuals and with nations. And when an individual uh, is, not, is not walking right with the Lord, that the Holy Spirit begins to deal with them. He'll deal with you and your conscience. Everybody has a God conscience. And uh, nobody has to tell you really if you're doing right for wrong because that little voice in your head says that's not right. Where did that come from? That's a, that's you, you, that's a God call. It's a, a God conscience. It's, a, it's that thing of knowing you're doing right or wrong. Now, you can violate your conscience because all of us have in the past. Amen? I mean, we, we've all done stuff that we knew was wrong, and we went ahead and did it anyway. Well, I know I have. Uh, the next time a highway patrolman pulls you over to give you a ticket, just accept it, even if you're not doing something wrong because you broke the law in the past and you deserve one anyway. I figure if I get stopped by a cop, even if I'm not doing anything right, I, I broke the law so many times in my car, I, I, I deserve the ticket anyway. So why argue? Because I'm way ahead of them anyway. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so we can violate our conscience and do things, make bad decisions, do things wrong. But then, you know, after a while, God begins, if you're a believer, I don't know about you, but God doesn't let me get away with doing stupid stuff. That's just the way he works with me. I mean, your conscience begins to bother. The Holy Spirit begins to convict you. And uh, when, con when you are under conviction, it draws you back to the Lord. There's a difference in condemnation and conviction. This is the difference. Conviction draws you to God. Condemnation pushes you away from God. And that's how you know the difference between that. But So conviction begins to, you know, to settle on you. And, and uh, you, then you repent and you get right with God. Is that all? That's kind of plain. I'm just going to say it as plain as I can today, all right? America is the greatest nation ever to exist on this planet. I love America. And America's blessings was not because we were the sharpest knife in the drawer. How many understand? Yeah, we've had some, we had, we've had some smart people, wise people. And, we've, and, and if you look in your past... That, that is absolutely true. But I want to tell you what, the blessings of America wasn't just a result of smart people. The blessings of America was a result of God's favor on this nation. Because other countries have smart people. But they never rose to strength and power that the United States has. Why is that? It's a result of God's favor. Listen to Psalms 33 and verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Blessed, what? Is the nation, blessed is the nation uh, whose God is the Lord. That's how America was founded. So our blessings don't just come from us being so smart. 
our blessings come because America was born and founded on uh, as a place where we could worship God, and uh, it was it was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, and it was dedicated to God. And as a result of that, this nation was blessed beyond measure. It wasn't an accident. It was God's favor on this nation. The Puritans who came to this new world recognized and believed this country had a divine destiny. And when they settled into this country, they even compared this country, America, to ancient Israel. They prayed and dedicated this country to God's purposes. That's what the Puritans did. Our founding fathers believed the same thing. Notice, in God we trust is not just a slogan that somebody come up with to put on your money. In God we trust is not something just to write on some courthouse wall. In God we trust was a lifestyle of our founding fathers. And they realized if it was not for God, we would not survive. Amen. It's an expression of America's faith. Now in the first decade of the 21st century comes the announcement that America is no longer a Christian nation. Isn't it true? What is so shocking is that statement is absolutely true. Now that might shock you, but let me run that by you again. The announcement in the first decade of, of, of the 21st century is that America is no longer a Christian nation. May I say to you something that's going to shock you, that it is absolutely true we are no longer a Christian nation we have Christians in this nation, but this nation is no longer uh, ruled by Christian principles. Now, real believers are looked at as primitive. If you hold to a certain view, a biblical certain view, you are looked up as, a, as an extremist and someone who would cause division. You're absolutely not politically correct if you hold to the biblical view of society. And that's true. Uh, we are vilified. We are someone to be feared. The IRS comes after your nonprofit number today if you, because they want to know where your money is coming from. That would have not have happened 20 years ago. And in the Bible belt, in the Bible, in fact, the Bible buckle of the belt. In Texas, I have in my hand a place where a, a mayor of Houston City subpoenas a pastor for the sermons that he's preaching in his congregation. Now, in California, that would not surprise me, but in Texas, that surprises me. Because it is the buckle of the Bible Belt. Why and how did we get to that point? Because what the statement was said by leaders of our country, there's no longer a Christian nation, is absolutely true. So how did America get to this point. Like ancient Israel, we drifted away from God. Notice what Israel did in the past. She begins to prosper. And as she prospered, she begins to get lifted up in pride, thinking that her prosperity is a result of her own ingenuity, her own strength, and her own wisdom. And so she was lifted up in pride. She began to be consumed by greed. Their values begin to change. The nation was given over to immorality. Does it sound familiar? They begin to worship the pagan gods of Baal and Molech and offered up their children as sacrifice to false gods. And as a result, God brought judgment against that nation. It was his nation. It was his chosen people. But they had turned their back and drifted away from God, and he brought judgment upon them. America has followed the same pattern. After World War II, America emerged as the superpower of the world, that we was the most invincible nation in the world. We, were, we became the richest nation in the world. We began to prosper in pride. We began to build tall buildings to show the world how powerful we are. 
But in the process, values begin to change. And for 50 years, America has systematically been trying to remove the influence from God from the public conscience. It started with the removal of prayer from the classroom in the 60s, and on and on it goes. And now they begin, you know, they're trying to remove it from the court system. No longer want the Ten Commandments. And systematically for the last 50 years, America has been trying to remove the influence of God from the public square. Separation of church and state. Isn't it true? As a result, we have embraced a new morality. Now it's same-sex marriages and a judicial system that is run by judges, not by law, but by their own value system. And then just a few weeks ago, they told 30 states in America to go take a hike because their, their view of marriage, even though they had voted it in that marriage was supposed to be between a husband or a man and a woman, they told 30 states uh, to, go, to go take a hike because that was not uh, legal. It was against the Constitution and against the rights of the people. Listen, there's a difference between rights and special rights. Am I getting the flesh on some of this? <laughs> we voted Proposition 8 in in California twice that a, a marriage is supposed to be recognized between a man and a woman. And the Attorney General of California sued the citizens of California and said it was unconstitutional. And then we turned around and voted him in as governor. That didn't make sense to me. How can you vote in somebody that just sued the pants off of you? That's flesh. America has offered up 60 million children on the sacrifice of the altar of pro-choice since the 1960s. 60 million children have been murdered. Just like ancient Israel, they offered their children up as sacrifice to the gods of Baal and Molech. And we have offered up our children on the altar of pro-choice. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34 says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3 says this, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of who? The Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now already in the world. May I say to you this morning that the Antichrist spirit is alive and well in America. He is alive and well, and he is in charge a lot of our, of, uh, of a lot of our influence from Washington. Question is this, how does God deal with nations that turns their back on him? He sends warnings. He sends the prophets. He sends the preachers. Sometimes he sends judgments to get people's attention. Sometimes it's in the form of pestilence. Have you heard of Ebola? Sometimes defeats in war. And do you know we haven't won a war since the 60s? We have not been able to win a war. We go to war, but we don't know how to win one. Why is that? Why is that that we don't have the stomach to win a war and to do what it takes to win a war and defeat our enemy? Why is that? Sometimes it's famine. Sometimes it's weather conditions. You know, sometimes drought is a sign of God's judgment upon a nation. Does that sound familiar in California? Wouldn't it be something if all the farmers of the Central Valley repented and knelt in their fields and repented of the rebellion and the greed 
and their fall away from God and ask God to restore and, 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 and send back the rain patterns in California, wouldn't that be something? Because the drought just very well could be a wake-up call from God that says something needs to change. America received her big wake-up call on September 11th. 2001. The Twin Towers fell as a result, notice this, of terrorist attacks. Can you remember where you were on that day? Most of us, it is burned in our memory where we was at the day that we realized the crisis that was taking place in America. Did it just happen? Was it something that just, you know, in the course of life that it was supposed to happen. I believe it was a wake-up call. I believe it was a shaking. Now, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 talks about God's going to do some shaking in the last days so that the foundations that of the things that are real can remain. And the things that are man-made that people depend on are going to fall. And so he says, I'm going to send a shaking so that people will realize what's real and what's not. The Twin Towers fall as a result of terrorist attack. Now, how is this event connected to a judgment from God. Write this down. It's a all these things that I'm going to share with you is a matter of public record, and you can look them up. Just get on your little computer and go through here, okay? On September 12, 2001, at a meeting of joint sessions of, of the Senate and the House of Representatives, the Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle gets up and rep represents the nation's response to what is taking place on September 11th has no idea of what he is about to say. He probably doesn't even know the Bible, and the people that wrote his speech probably just put this in here, uh, what he was going to say, and he, the dust of September uh, 11th had not even settled. So what he was going to say was prophetic of what was going to take place and connect what was taking place in America to an ancient judgment on the nation of Israel. So he gets up and begins to say and begins to repeat uh, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 10. Now it's interesting, out of 30,000 verses in the Bible, he picks this one to read. Coincidence? Just by chance. Just a roll of the dice. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe some guy that was writing his speeches just happened to know a passage in the, in the Bible that might relate to what had taken place. But not knowing what he was about to say, he got up and he read Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 10. Now, for you to understand it, I, I, want to, I want to take you back to verse 8 and read Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 8 so you understand what is taking place. What he, what he is about to say is to pronounce a prophetic judgment upon America, but he has no idea what he's going to say. And he has no idea what he's going to say is prophetic as what is taking place because it had just happened and, and the dust had not even settled over, over ground zero. So he had no idea what the, what the prophetic statement he was about to make. But the Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it was fallen on Israel. Now, Israel and Jacob were interchangeable terms. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So in both places, he's talking to Israel. All the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say, who say, now this is the key, who say in what? Pride and arrogance of heart. You see, what he is going to say, it was, if it was in the right attitude and spirit, would not be wrong. 
Rebuilding your life is not wrong. The attitude and spirit in which you do rebuild, if you rebuild apart from Christ, is what is wrong. So all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, this is the key. This is what he said. The bricks have fallen. Bricks have fallen down. But we will rebuild with hewn stones. Now remember, in the original setting, as Isaiah is recording, he's recording the true statements of Israel and the attitude of their heart because this was said from Israel from pride and arrogance. But we will rebuild with hewn stones. And they were saying to God, we don't care what you do, God, we're going to rebuild. We realize that this could be a judgment from you, but we don't need you anymore. We can do this on our own. We're going to rebuild. We'll rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. They were saying it in pride. We're going to come back stronger than ever, and we're going to do it without you. The attack was a limited judgment against Israel to awaken her to repentance, and it was not meant to destroy her. The same was true for America. There was fear. All church houses was full the Sunday following 9-11. There was fear, there was concern, but there was no repentance, and neither was there repentance in Israel. Now get this. The attack on Israel was from the Syrians. The Syrians is modern-day Iran, Iraq. The Syrians are the fathers of terror. They would take the people they, they would capture and they would cut their heads off in public view. Does that sound familiar? They would flay their victims and, their, and the people they captured. They would take them outside the city that they would siege. It was under siege. And they would flay their victims alive in front of the cities. And they would threaten them saying, we're going to do the same to you. And a lot of cities that the Syrians surrounded because of fear and terror would surrender without a shot being fired because of the fear it produced in, from the Syrians. The people that attacked us on 9-11 were descendants of the terrorists. In fact, that's what we called them. We called them a terrorist. It was a terrorist attack. They are direct descendants of the Syrians that attacked Israel. The bricks have fallen down. The Syrians had destroyed their buildings and their homes and left them in rubble. The World Trade Center was left in a rubble. Those of you that watched it on your TV realize, I mean, when it fell, it was just absolutely disintegrated. It fell in a rubble over ground zero. The bricks have fallen. Now, the third thing they said they'd do, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. And that is exactly what Israel did. They took the bricks that was falling down and they, they hewn stones out of the rock quarry and they begin to rebuild with the attitude that we're going to come back stronger than ever. In New York, the builders of the building, they went out to Adronach Mountain outside the city of New York, and they carved out of that mountain a huge granite stone. And on a ceremony on July 4, 2004, they, 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 they mounted that stone at ground zero, and they called it the Stone of Freedom. I mean, you saw that ceremony. And the mayor of New York in the ceremony said these words, We set this stone in defiance. paralleling just exactly what Israel did 2,500 years earlier, paralleling exactly what Israel did. 
The sycamores are cut down. Remember all of these things when, he's, when he read this verse of Scripture at the joint session of Congress and the Senate, in order for it to, to have a prophetic meaning, it had to be connected to 9-11. And it said the sycamores are cut down. At the corner of ground zero was a sycamore tree that was 100 years old. And the second tower fell with such force, the fall uprooted the tree. And the people take this sycamore tree with the roots that were exposed, and they almost make an idol out of this thing, and they call the tree the tree of ground zero. Because, and they would go by and they would rub the roots of this sycamore tree. as I don't know if it gave them hope or, or whatever. Uh, they removed the tree, and an artist, they, they, they hired an artist of bronze that worked with bronze, and they made a bronze image of the roots of that sycamore tree, and it is, and is outside now the Wall Street, uh, on Wall Street outside the stock, the American, the, the stock exchange. It's behind, between, you know, inside of a cage is the bronze roots replica of that tree that was fallen. The sycamore has fallen. Now, I'm, in the next few Sundays, we're going to share something. I'm going to go more in depth to all of this. But I'm just trying to set the stage today about where we're at and how God is trying to get America's attention. They said, we will replace it with cedar. In 2003, a tree makes an appearance in New York at Ground Zero. It's all wrapped up, and a crane is setting it into the same place that the sycamore tree had once stood. What kind of a tree was it? It gets kind of eerie. It was all wrapped up. It was an evergreen tree. It had needles. It was a cedar tree. And they plant it right in the place where the sycamore had stood. And they call that tree the tree of hope. Now, as a PS to this, now... One of the books that I'm getting my information from was sent to every member of Congress. And uh, a lot of members of Congress read the book, and some of them presented it on the floor of Congress. Uh, that woman, the senator that ran for president, I forget what her name was, um, presented it on the floor of Congress. And uh, after they planted this tree, because they knew the symbolism, because Washington knew the symbolism of the tree, you see... The P.S. about that is the cedar tree refused to live. It died. No matter what the gardeners did, it died. And so at night, the gardeners come and they pull it up because they didn't want anybody to know that the cedar tree was gone. So at night, they pulled it up and they cut it up and burned it up at night so nobody would know that the cedar tree wouldn't live where it was planted. It would be a bad sign, you know, that the tree of hope wouldn't live where they had planted it. We will replace it with cedar. I want you to notice something. When judgment comes, it usually attacks the foundation of what the, con of what the country was founded on. For instance, in Israel, it was the temple that was destroyed. That was where that nation was dedicated to God. The priest was there. That's where Solomon and, and all the priests dedicated uh, Israel to God. But so when, when, when judgment comes, it usually attacks the foundation on which that country was settled on. How about America? When our first president was sworn into office, he places his hand on the Bible, takes his oath of office, George Washington. His first official presidential address is a matter of record. 
I want to read it to you. He says this. Right after he gets sworn in, his first address to the nation. The propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. What a statement. His first official act was to lead the first fully formed government to a place in what is now lower Manhattan. Washington, D.C. was not the capital at that time. Neither was Philadelphia. But the capital of our, the newly formed government was New York City. So his first official act was to lead the new, newly formed government to a place in lower Manhattan to pray and dedicate the new nation to God. That place is known as Ground Zero. And a little stone chapel where that took place still stands there. It usually attacks the foundation on which the country was established on. Tom Daschle, who on September 12, 2001, who spoke the words of judgment upon America, a few months later fell into disgrace. Those of you that know the story and the history, he was exposed of corruption, taking bribes out of income tax evasion, totaling in the millions, and he was forced from public life. He was the first one to pronounce judgment on America. There was another person that pronounced judgment on America in 2003. His name was Senator John Edwards. He was at a prayer breakfast commemorating the fall of the Twin Towers on 9-11. And he again read the exact scriptures that Tom Daschle read. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 10. A few years later, as he ran for vice president, how many knows what happened to John Edwards? Forced from public life, through moral problems and issues in his life, his life was destroyed. A few months ago at the completion of the Freedom Tower, the president at a ceremony of the placing of the last, now get this, the last beam and the highest beam in the tower he was given a marker to write a message on the beam. It was a white beam painted white, and he was given a, a marker to write a message. A lot of other people was, wrote on the beam also, but this is, what, this is interesting because the leaders represent the country. When Israel's leaders got up there and said, this is what we're going to do, they represented the country. What our country is right now represents what you and I have allowed we get what we vote for. And our country, our nation right now is the result of the combined forces of it, what its citizens want. And the leaders express what the citizens want. He takes his marker, begins to write on the beam that's going to be the highest beam in the tower. The tower is called Freedom Tower. And the highest beam, this is, he writes eight words. These are the words. We remember, we rebuild, we come back stronger. And the scripture says God's eyes go to and fro on the earth, seeking out someone he can 
show himself strong for. I'm wondering when his eyes go back and forth across the earth and he goes across the highest building in America and he looks at the first and the highest and the top beam of that Freedom Tower and he sees these words, we remember, we rebuild, we come back stronger. I wonder what God thinks. I'm wondering if it might have been better for him to write, Heavenly Father, forgive us of our sin. Make your face to shine upon us one more time. Let us walk in your blessing once more. I'm thinking that might have been more appropriate to write. The shaking, the wake-up call. Is America listening? In the next few Sundays, I'm going to share some things because there was some other shaking that you need to know about. Sometimes there's judgments that happen and nobody recognizes them. And they just kind of fall to the wayside and don't affect us that much. But in the next couple of Sundays, I want to share some things. Next year, and you're going to realize that next year could be a pivotal year in America's existence. 2015 is right around the corner. And from all the predictions of the things that I have read and studied, it will be a pivotal year in Israel and in America. America needs to heed the wake-up call from God. Amen? Bow your head with me this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bow before you. Restore us, God. Restore us today. Heavenly Father, I sense an urgency in my heart for the church to be alert to the fact the time in which we live. Everything is not going to continue as it was. We are facing impossible situations without your help. They will not be corrected. In our own personal lives, we realize that there is wake-up calls that come today in this place is that you has God been trying to get your attention in the processes of life he does it with with individuals as well as he does with nations and perhaps he has he has tried to get your attention and you didn't even realize it or maybe you ignored it the shaking will continue you'll find in the next, next couple of Sundays the shaking has continued and we have continued on our path. But that doesn't have to happen to you. That doesn't have to happen to you. You just have to recognize that God is trying to get your attention as with a simple act of obedience and with a broken heart. Ask Him to restore you. Asking for mercy to restore you.
and he will do it. If you're here, I encourage you. We're going to pray in a few moments. I encourage you to do that. What's God's answer for America? I'll tell you God's answer for America. 2 Chronicles 7 and 14 says this, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. It's going to start at the church, folks. Judgment's going to begin, first of all, at the church. It's going laid at our feet. We're going to continue life as all like, like it was, or we're going to get a hold of, listen, we need to do some changing in our life. We need to get serious about America and what God is doing. We need to stand up and speak up and do what's right. Amen? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, and pray. I believe that. Stand with me all across the building, will you? All across the building. I want you to pray with me today. I'm going to say a simple prayer. If you're here and you need to be restored, if you're here and you need to accept Christ as your Savior, I want you to repeat this prayer as everybody repeats after me. I want you to say it in faith and with a contrite heart today. And God's going to do some restoring in this place today. God's going to, God's going to come in and kind of Heal our broken hearts today. Everybody with me, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart. Restore me. I receive you today as the Lord and Savior of my life. Amen. Amen. Now listen, if you prayed that for the first time or if you prayed that and you want to confess some things and, and, and tell somebody that you prayed, you come up here. I want to visit with you today after church, all right? God bless you guys. See you early tonight for 